don't we all stand? We're going to sing one more hymn together. Speaking of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, this song reminds us that uh, we should all hail or reverence and show proper respect to our Savior and even His name. He's, uh, he's been given a name higher than every other name. And yet, today we're going to be reminded of what He would be willing to endure for your sake and for mine. What a great Savior we have. Let's sing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. And then when we get to the last chorus, we'll re-sing it a second time while the young people go to Sunday school, all right? All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and cry. from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him the As we sing the fourth verse, we'll dismiss the young people to Sunday school. Ready? Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now I'll turn the rest of the meeting over to our brother Andrew Lemasters. Good morning. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word, uh, something to guide us in our uh, day-to-day activities and in our ethics and our morality and in our spirit and soul, everything we need you've given us in your word. We thank you for that. Help us to be humble enough to receive it, uh, to hear it and let it change us, uh, not to deceive ourselves, to just hear it and not uh, obey it. In Christ's name, amen. 
All right, if you have your Bibles or your Bible devices and you'd like to follow along, you can turn to Matthew chapter 26. What we're going to be considering, thinking about today is do we, do I, do you, do we value Jesus? Do we value Christ? And is it something we say or is it something that's evident in our life, the value we place on Jesus? We're going to start by reading a few portions here in Matthew, and uh, then we'll go back and consider a few things in light of that. So in chapter 26, beginning in verse 6, I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard, um, and they'll have a few different words in there, and if they are important, I'll take a moment to uh, discuss those as well. 26, verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon, a man who had a serious skin disease or leprosy at one point, um, he wouldn't have had it any longer. We can assume that Jesus had probably healed him now that they are dining together in a house, something that he would not have been allowed to do prior uh, because leprosy would have made him unclean and separate from the society. Uh, A woman approached him, approached Jesus, with an alabaster jar of very expensive, fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste? they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. Some versions will say a good work. And... The Greek meaning there, I think, is the, the best uh, to convey the meaning. Uh, is morally excellent, a beautiful thing, morally, a beautiful thing for him. So she's done a noble thing or a morally beautiful thing. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she has prepared me for burial. I assure you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told in memory of her. And of course, we are fulfilling prophecy right now by reading that. 14 says, Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out thirty pieces of silver for him. And from that time... He started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. We heard a little bit about this this morning, if you were here. The difference, uh, that Greek word there, betray, also has this meaning of deliver, right? To, to hand over. So you might have a, a version that says looking for a good opportunity to deliver him up. Uh, or to even to deliver him up to be crucified. But what we see here, uh, th- this story is in all four of the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's variations and little bits of this story uh, piece together. And so this anointing at the house, we hear that the, uh, the disciples were indignant, right? They said, why, why was this oil wasted? But other passages in scripture will specify that Judas was most upset. And we, can, we, we know that he put on a facade of, uh, you know, this money could have been given to the poor, but it says that he was in charge of the money box and the money that went into it, he would take, he would take some of it for himself. So his motivations were not to care for the poor, but that he wanted to steal some of it, or maybe all of it, for himself. So 
this woman who we also see in Scripture uh, is Mary, the, the sister of uh, Martha and Lazarus. Uh, we could say that she saw uh, the, the, the value of Christ, right? The value of the anointed one, whereas Judas only saw the value of the anointing oil, right? And so she does this morally excellent thing, this beautiful thing with her, uh, this valuable item that has been put into her possession that she sacrifices it and gives it up to the Lord, seeing his beauty and his value, whereas Judas... Uh, sees only the value of the oil itself. Uh, we, other, other writers would tell us that it was worth about a year's wages. So about a full year of wages right in this bottle of oil that she just broke onto the Lord. And then Judas goes off and, and looks for a way now to betray Jesus. And maybe he thought this is no longer going to be a lucrative business. Maybe he thinks, uh, what a waste of oil. I might as well get something out of this guy called Jesus. And he goes to the uh, chief priests and the elders and he says, what will you give me for him? And they offer him 30 pieces of silver. This is about, about a third of the value of the oil. And actually, elsewhere in the Old Testament, we would see that this was the price of a slave. And this is what Judas is willing to take for the Lord Jesus. And it continues on, verse 17. On the first day of unleavened bread... The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare the Passover so you may eat it? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. Passover was a celebration of God delivering the people of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. And during this time, uh, what an amazing Passover it must have been to celebrate deliverance with the deliverer. But all the while, uh, again, going back to that Greek word that Judas is looking to betray him. Judas is looking to deliver him up, right? We talked about how God's portion was to deliver uh, Jesus up for our sake, for our sin, as we would see uh, later on in the story. But celebrating deliverance with the deliverer while Judas is trying to deliver him up. Verse 21, while they were eating, he said, I assure you, Jesus speaking, I assure you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. Some versions will say, uh, Lord, is it I? And in the language, there's a, an expectation of a negative response. They're saying, it wasn't, it's not going to be me, right? But each one of them seems to have this, uh, th- this question of, Lord, it's not going to be me. All 12 of them, right? None of them said, it's probably Judas, right? They, they were completely flabbergasted, right? In deep distress, totally sorrowful that who could do such a thing? Concerned, Lord, surely not I. And in verse 23, he says, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. So in this language and in this culture, you have said it effectively means yes, 
right? You said it, came out of your own mouth. You've admitted it. It's also interesting to note here that Judas calls him rabbi. The other disciples would call him Lord, right? An, an honorable, um, worshipful title, whereas Judas simply calls him teacher. It's not going to be me, is it? And I wonder if when Jesus says, uh, one of you will betray me, Judas is afraid now that his cover has been blown, right? And, and woe to that man. It would be better if he had never been born. I would put a chill down my spine, right? If it was my plan to deliver this man over. But he wanted his 30 pieces of silver. The, root, the, the uh, love of money is the root of all kinds of stupidity, right? Thinking that you can deliver the Lord over, that you could deceive him, that you could, as we'll see later, uh, uh, bring enough soldiers to overpower the Lord, right? These ideas that Judas had because of the money that he wanted to get out of the Savior. Not, again, not recognizing the value of the, the Savior himself, as Mary did with her oil, but only seeing the value of money in this situation. After this, uh, Jesus institutes the first uh, breaking of bread and taking of the cup, the Lord's Supper that we celebrated this morning. Uh, the first one is instituted here with his disciples. And uh, the story of Peter denying Christ, right? Um, three times claiming that he didn't know him as... Um, or Peter's denial is predicted here, right? That he would deny Christ and, and claim not to know him when the going got tough. And we move on ahead now to Jesus has prayed in the garden and he's been uh, praying that, uh, praying to God to prepare him and prepare his uh, heart for this cup that he would have to drink, this crucifixion that he was going to have to suffer on the cross. And here comes Judas, right? In the midst of the dark, in the night, away from the crowds because uh, Judas was looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus privately. He didn't want to do it among the crowds and among all of the people that followed and, and liked Jesus. He didn't want to start a riot. So he waits till the night, till a private time. And Jesus is here in the garden with his other disciples praying. And in verse 46, so we're still in chapter 26. In verse 46, he says to his disciples who have fallen asleep by this point, he says, get up, let's go. My betrayer is near. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one. Arrest him. So he went right up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, Why have you come? They came up, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place, because all who take up a sword will perish by a sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father, and he will provide me at once with more than twelve legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? So it's, we see Judas, uh, we, we know that Jesus is called the Word, right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is called the Word of God. And Judas here, lying directly to the face of the Word, is fulfilling the Word, right? The prophecies that were made that Jesus would suffer, that Jesus would be delivered up. 
are being fulfilled by one who lies to the face of the word. Now again, we see the foolishness of Judas not fully recognizing and understanding who Jesus was. Even in uh, other Gospels, we'll see that Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? And they, they would say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he would say, I am. I am he. And this would cause all of this mob with swords and clubs and Judas himself, they would fall back. Just that Jesus proclaiming his name, right? This is the Old Testament uh, name, the Old Testament idea of who Jesus was, that God would say his name was, I am that I am. And this, this powerful name of God now, the people say we're looking for Jesus and he says, I am. And it causes them, uh, whether in, in miraculous force or whether in disbelief or maybe even in, in shock at the blasphemy that someone would claim to be God, they, they're, they're drawn back and they fall to the ground. And they, they stand back up and he asks them again, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, one of the disciples takes his sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. We know from other gospels that this was Peter, ambitious Peter, right? And other gospels will also tell us that Jesus uh, has been arrested, but uh, whether through his calm authority or, or some means, he's able to restore this man's ear. He heals this man's ear. The ones that are here to arrest and crucify him, right? You would think, even if you were going to follow through with your crucifixion, you might have just a little bit of uh, sweet revenge kind of feeling. Like, yeah, I'll come along, but your ear got cut off, right? But no, he even goes beyond that and he heals this man's ear. Jesus goes on to face the court and Peter goes on to deny the Lord as was predicted. And Jesus is crucified. Er, uh, handed over to be crucified. And we'll just read three verses from chapter 27, starting in verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. What's that to us, they said. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the sanctuary and departed, and he went and hanged himself. Judas felt guilty, but there's no reason that he, he could not have gone before the Lord Jesus and begged for forgiveness at any point. At any point during his betrayal, at any point after he had been handed over, even here when he goes uh, to the chief priests and elders, he could have instead gone to the Lord. But his remorse was a shallow remorse, recognizing that he had betrayed an innocent man, uh, but still seeming to lack recognition of who he was and uh, that, that Jesus was the true God, the Messiah, the anointed one, but instead is feeling guilty and just wants to get the guilt off of his conscience, returns the money, still filled with remorse, right? The Bible talks about uh, godly sorrow that leads to repentance. But that's not what happened here. There was a sorrow, but it just led to Judas uh, trying to get rid of the money and hanging himself. There was no repentance here. Some versions, some translations will use the word repent, but it's a shallow repentance. It's a feel-good uh, remorse, guilt. It's not the repentance of salvation. 
It's not a repentance and turning to God. So considering this, the value of Christ, recognizing who Jesus is, who Christ is, and how that's reflected in our lives. When, when this expensive uh, fragrant oil was broken over Christ, Judas saw the value of the oil and not the value of the Lord. He was, uh, on, on the surface, it looked, it looked a good idea, right? To be, to be concerned with the poor. That's a good, pious thing to do, right? To be concerned with the poor. But Mary was concerned with uh, doing something honorable and excellent that would please the Lord. And in our lives, sometimes we, we get into a situation where uh, maybe we're concerned with following what we think is the morally best thing to do. And, and maybe this is what people are telling us to do. And it's what the appearances would look right for. But it's not what the Lord has called us to in that situation. So to be concerned with appearances, right? Uh, what are we doing with our money and with our property that could honor the Lord? Uh, uh, that would be, and even here it's called a fragrant oil, right? When we are honoring the Lord and, and serving Him, oh, that's considered a sweet-smelling aroma to Him, right? And the aroma of this uh, expensive oil that Mary would break filled the house, right? There's lots of um, politicians and even just individuals today that are out campaigning for the poor and, and campaigning for projects and let's do this and let's do that. And yet, uh, what would we find if we investigated their lives and the activities that they're actually partaking in, Right? And are we concerned with the value of what we offer? Do we find that, or do we consider ourselves essential, ourselves pivotal? Are we, uh, do we think that we are playing some important role that is necessary, right? God doesn't need any of us. He allows us to participate in his plan. Or do we focus on the value of the one we are serving, right? Is the, are the things that we're doing for the sake of glorifying God or for the sake of doing things that we think he needs us to do, right? I usually am up uh, doing the music on Sunday morning and I often struggle with the, the, the feeling that I am here to pick the right songs and to make sure that people are led into worship and that I am doing this and that I am doing that, right? That's not the right attitude. That's not the right idea. What, what should be happening in a service like that is that I am consumed with and simply doing my best to glorify God and to worship Him and to praise Him, knowing that if I am glorifying God in the things that I do, focused on Him and the one who is valuable, that He will bless that as He sees fit, right? So Judas didn't see that. He saw, look at the value of this thing. We could have done this. We could have taken it. We could have sold it. We could have given it to the poor. But, but the most efficient thing, we may think, is not always going to be the most morally excellent, right? The efficient thing is not always going to be the most excellent. And how about the times that we give uh, to, to the poor or we give to missionaries, right? Do we think that we are, that we're sustaining them? That we're giving them what they need to continue the work? That because of our efforts, like we're giving to the poor, right? Why do we feel, uh, why do we feel good when we give money to missionaries and the poor? Is it because we've helped them, or is it because we've glorified and obeyed God? Right? Where are we placing our value? 
Judas wanted to have that money, uh, at least for himself, but even the other apostles, right? We know that Judas was the one that wanted to steal some of it, but it says all the apostles were indignant. They said this could have been given to the poor, focusing on what seemed efficient and uh, let's give the most, let's have the biggest, broadest impact rather than doing the thing that would please and honor and glorify God. We don't see the exact plan and the exact map that God has for the kingdom. We know that we are called to participate in that kingdom, that we have been gifted and and, and privileged to participate in that kingdom. But when we don't see the exact path and the windings, our goal should not be focused on how efficiently we can get there, but that we would be most morally excellent and most honorable to God. When we don't see all of the steps, we can't plan uh, what is the most efficient path, right? To think of that, that God is, is ushering in His kingdom, that He is working and turning souls to Himself and uh, preparing for His return. And we think that it lies on us, that, it, that we are the pivotal cornerstones of His plan, when in reality, our focus should be on glorifying God, on recognizing who Jesus is, on valuing Jesus, on spending our time glorifying and honoring Him, and that He would bless that to further His kingdom as He sees fit. I've heard it said that God works in us and through us, and most often, in spite of us. We may have plans and we may see something that seems like the best thing to us. Again, even all the disciples. We don't want to get too caught up on Judas here, right? Judas was a a disciple. He was called by Christ. He was gifted by Christ. He preached the gospel, it seems, in the scriptures. We hear that he was sent out to preach the gospel. And he is, is certainly, right, with this kiss, right? He betrays his Savior with a kiss. This is one of the most, uh, possibly the most villainous, moment in recorded history that Judas betrays the Savior with a kiss. But we can't skip over the fact that his other disciples, the ones we would consider the good, true disciples, they were also indignant about the money. They were caught up on what they thought was most efficient. And the reality was that Jesus said she's done a morally excellent thing by spending her, by using her property, by using her time on me and for me. And in fact, if we look at the life of Christ, we would see things that seem very inefficient. I struggle with this a lot. Where's my wife? Oh, she can still hear me. She knows that I'm the worst with sticking to schedules and I I neglect, I, I tend to see people as interruptions far too often. And the Lord Jesus, his life was almost entirely going to meet people's needs and their schedules. On his way to one place, and, and going to, to heal someone. Or, or maybe even teaching and speaking to a group and, and leaving to go heal someone. Jesus' life was spent uh, going where the most excellent thing could be and not necessarily the most efficient. He wasn't always focused on uh, one person needs healing, but I'm teaching to 12. Okay, I'm going to stay with the 12 and, and we'll deal with that later. He went where uh, God the Father would have him go. He spent most of his time Doing that. If you read through the, the Gospels, you'll see that um, he, he seemed to be on a, on a path and on a mission. And it probably, you know, if he didn't 
go off and, and heal people and meet requests. And anytime he landed on, you know, his boat would come ashore and there would be crowds and people needing him and wanting him and seeking him. He probably wouldn't have even needed a full three years to just preach his route that he planned on preaching, right? But that time that he took to meet with people and to invest in people and to heal them and to demonstrate who he was, that was the God's plan for for uh, Christ and for ushering in the kingdom, right? That was what may not have seemed efficient, right, to the onlookers, right? We can even think of the woman that had the issue of blood, right? Jesus walking through the crowds, being crowded, and she comes up and she just touches the hem of his garment. And he stops and says, who just touched me, right? And the disciples say, there's tons of people touching you. What are you talking about? The, the, the feeling I get there is, is, let's keep going. We're on our way somewhere. There's lots of people touching you. Don't worry about it. But no, Jesus stops and he would find the woman and he would interact with this woman and the crowds would see that Jesus stopped. And we don't have power that would go out of us, but what would we do in that situation? Would we march on? Would we continue? Would we forget about it? Would we not be concerned? Would we see it as an interruption to the things that we have in mind, the things that we want to do. If, if Judas had seen Jesus for who he was, had recognized the value of Christ, right? There's, there's two, two times that Judas, at least two times in this passage, that Judas undervalued Jesus. The first with seeing the oil and thinking this, this year's worth of wages could have been given to the poor. And he's indignant about this. And then what does he do? He goes and accepts uh, four months worth of wages. The price of a slave for the Savior. He was consumed with his love of money. With his desire for money. Instead of his love and desire for Christ. And that's the daily struggle for all of us. Is what are we... What are we consumed with? What are we passionate about? And what does that look like in our life? I think most of us, everyone that would profess faith in Christ, most of us would say, of course, Jesus is my number one priority. My, my, I see the value in Christ. We would say all these good things, but does that match up with our life? Does that match up with the way that we spend our time? For example, um, if I told you, if you wake up at 4 a.m. tomorrow, that I'll give you a million dollars, would it be hard to wake up at 4 a.m.? Maybe for some of you, I don't know. I would not, I wouldn't even need a clock, right? I, I wouldn't even go to sleep. I would just be up in this tremendous anticipation of this huge gift that I'm about to get in the morning. But how are you with waking up early to be in the Word? snooze, right? We, a lot of times we have trouble getting up early and um, maybe it's not even at 4 a.m. we have to get up. A lot of us don't have to get up that early. Maybe 15 minutes early to get up and be with the Lord and we don't value it. We don't see the value of Christ and our life doesn't reflect that. We say we have uh, priorities uh, to be in the Word and to be with the Lord and maybe that's just a checklist item for coming to church or to praying before a meal just frequently enough that he's sort of on our mind most days. But is that putting value 
on Jesus. Do we value Jesus? I want to consider very quickly four areas and four ways in which we might uh, assess ourselves and see if we value Jesus or if we are caught up in the things of this world as Judas was, um, despite God's display, right? Uh, Judas spent several years with Jesus in his presence, seeing how he taught, seeing how he walked, seeing his example, and still didn't place a value on him. So our priorities, right? The difference between what we say and the reality of what we do. What gives us excitement? What motivates us? What uh, what are we passionate about, right? Again, what gets us uh, out of bed? What keeps us up late, right? I often don't go to bed on time, and it's not because I'm reading my Bible. It's because I'm finishing work or watching something on TV or uh, wasting time, right? It's not because of the value I see in Christ, And what about our schedule? If someone were to audit your schedule, what would they see? Most of us spend about 30% of our time working, about 30% of our time sleeping. And if you come to two meetings on Sunday, the Wednesday meeting, and you do something at youth group, about 5% of your time at church. And if you spend a full hour every day with God, that would bring you up to about 10% of your time. Right, 10% of your time with God. If you spend a full hour with Him and you come to four meetings a week, right? And that's not, God doesn't have a checklist for you to, to get your 10% in or anything like that. But consider that uh, 15 minutes is about 1% of your day, okay? And I know a lot of times 15 minutes, I do that all the time. I still do it. That 15 minutes is usually a block that I try to make sure I get in of reading my Bible to give 1% of my day to God. And is that a reflection of the value that he has in our lives? 15 minutes is about 1% of our time. What else do we spend 15 minutes doing? What do we spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes, a couple hours doing each day, right? These are the things, and there's, there's things we have to do, absolutely. But you know, the Bible says that we can pray without ceasing. It says we have to pray without ceasing. It commands that of us, that everything we do should be as unto the Lord and not, and not as for men. That whether we are preparing food, whether we are working, that we can be in communication with God and be giving that time and that energy and that effort to Him. But do we? And how about our attitudes when we are serving? Are we dragging ourselves here to church? Right? Are we remembering to pray? Are we begrudgingly uh, praying for our enemies? Right? Or do we do that joyfully? And our prayers for ourselves, are we, is the majority of our prayer to God prayers of need? Now, if we, um, there's another, I don't know who said it, but it says, if your prayers pour out your weaknesses, needs, and troubles, there will never be lack of what to say. And that's true. When we recognize our condition and our need of God and our desperate state, we will always have petitions for him and needs for him. But if you find that that is all that you are praying, if we are never uh, praying in praise and in thanksgiving and in glorifying God, then that would say to us that we are not praying enough. If only the only things that we are praying for is our needs to God, then we are not in the right 
attitude of prayer, and not, not in the ceaseless prayer that the Bible would have us to be in. So our priorities, the difference between what we say and what our life actually reflects as our priorities, and our schedules, how we're using our time, our attitudes, and are we serving God dutifully, or are we indignant at sometimes when we see people um, giving up something for the Lord? Uh, I know I have friends that on many occasions have invited me to do things on Sundays, uh, non-believers, and I would say, you know, I can't, I'm going to go to church Sunday morning, and they say, you know, they're trying to figure out when I'm going to be at church, and usually it's something like 9 to 12, and it's like, you're at church for three hours, and usually in the conversation it leads on to, (laughs) then I go back Sunday night, which they just can't even conceive of going back on a Sunday night. And then there's a midweek meeting, and there's a Friday meeting, and sometimes there's home Bible studies. Like, what are you doing with your time, right? And it looks ridiculous to them. And sometimes it's not because of the value we place on Christ, right? It's not always that we're going to church and and in prayer and reading our Bible because we are diligently seeing the value of Christ. Sometimes it's because of our habits and just what we're doing. Uh, It ought to be because of the value we place on Christ. But it looks ridiculous to those around us, right? Mary saw that this was going to be uh, a morally excellent thing. It was worship to Christ, and everyone around her said, What are you doing? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your property? But it was the morally excellent thing for her to do. And lastly, I want to consider Judas himself. Jesus does pray that um, he, he prays to God and says that he's not lost any of those that were given to him except for the one doomed for destruction. So we do know that Judas was, um, we could call him an evil character, a wicked character. But as I said, Jesus did call him. He gave him gifts. He gave him, it seems that he had the ability to cast out demons, even though Satan would later enter him to betray Jesus. It seemed that he could heal uh, the sick and that he did indeed preach the gospel. And so for us, right, there's two ways that I want us to consider Judas. One is as believers speaking to the lost uh, and maybe even those that are close to us where we would be so discouraged that they don't turn to the Lord Jesus. And we might wonder uh, any number of things. Are we doing something wrong? Could we do something more? Are we not teaching correctly? Are we being a bad example? And maybe it's a, a, a child or someone that you're with all the time, and are you providing the wrong environment for them? But let's ask those questions of Christ, right, in light of Judas. In light of Judas. Uh, did Christ do something wrong in his interactions with Judas? Could he have done more? Did he fail in his teaching? Was he a bad example? Did he fail in his example to him? And should he have put him in a different environment? Judas valued money. He had a love of money. And it may not always be money for us. Maybe anything else that consumes our time and takes away from the Lord Jesus. And we can, we are called to pray ceaselessly. We are called to do everything as unto the Lord. But 
are there activities that you would feel convicted to pray during or to do as unto the Lord, right? Can you Netflix binge unto the Lord? Maybe you feel like you can. I know I can't. And for those who have not come to know Christ, maybe none of this makes any sense to you, the value of Christ. Maybe you just think, I I wouldn't deliver someone over to be murdered, but I also don't care too much about Jesus and, you know, what has he done for me? And what we'll see in the next weeks here as we go on is Jesus was handed over to the priests. He was betrayed and he ended up being crucified on the cross. And the scriptures would tell us that that death was the the innocent blood of the Savior being spilled on our behalf so that we could have forgiveness of sins through that blood, right? Judas recognized, uh, maybe not into the full degree that the scriptures reveal to us, that he had betrayed innocent blood, and then he went to hang on a tree himself. But then Jesus, the, the possessor of that innocent blood, the only one who ever possessed innocent blood, lived the perfect example, and he was hung on a tree, crucified on the cross as well. And that was for our sins, right? For all the times that uh, we go through life and we don't value Christ, right? We, we rebel, we sin, we do things, we seek out things, we do things directly uh, opposed to God, we, we withhold doing good things for God, and that is sin, right? And that sin, Judas used the word sin. He said, I have sinned, by betraying innocent blood. And yet, what does he do? He's filled with sorrow, but it leads him to despair. He tries to get rid of the money. He tries to do some action to make himself feel better. He goes to the religious officials and says, I have betrayed, I have betrayed innocent blood. Almost seems like he's asking them to, them to forgive him, right? Instead, what he should have done and what we ought to do in our sins is seek the Savior. Go to Christ and recognize his value recognize his sacrifice made for all of our sins and made for the things that we've done, the things we've done directly against him. And if you don't have any affection for the Lord Jesus, no affection for Christ, consider those same questions we asked of Judas. Where did he go wrong? Is there something more he could have done for you? Right? God became a man. He became Jesus, God in the flesh, to walk a perfect life, to give us an example, to die a sinless, uh, sacrificial death, right? Dying in our place so that we could receive him and have salvation from our sins. What more could he have done for you? He wrote, he, he gave us his word, right? Everything pertaining to life and godliness here in his word, the perfect guide for our lives, right? And people say that he ought to prove himself, that he ought to give them a sign. He became a man. He died for us. He died for you. He gave us his word. What more would you like him to do? Did he fail in his teaching? Everything pertaining to life and godliness is here. If you don't believe that, test it, right? Test the Lord in what he says. See if the word is true. The Bible warns us against calling the Lord out, but it does encourage us to stand on his promises. That if Christ has promised us something, that we can believe it and obey it and it will be proven true. Did he fail in his example? Look at the life of Christ. Look at all we have written about him. 
in every situation, the times that we feel cornered, uh, and maybe we are mindlessly sinning and mindlessly rebelling, or maybe sometimes we think there's nothing else I can do, right? In every situation, Christ was the perfect example for our lives. Even Judas, right? Uh, you might think other portions of the scripture would say Satan entered Judas. Oh, poor Judas, what could he do, right? Well, he was a thief before that. Long before we see uh, Satan enter him, Jesus calls him a devil. Judas opened the door for Satan to enter him. But Christ gives the perfect example, right? Even, even times that Satan would come to Jesus, that he would say, get behind me. He would quote scripture. He would live the perfect example for us. And should he have put you in a different environment? I know I've talked to people that have said that to me, that you know, if Jesus wanted me to believe him and come to him, he wouldn't have given me the family that he gave me. He wouldn't have put me in the situation that he put me in. Well, for you specifically, you're here right now, or you're hearing this, right? So God put you in exactly the environment that he intended to, for you to hear the word of God and to hear of what Christ did for us and the value that Christ is offering us with his blood and his life. So if you have not considered the value of Christ, think of that. Think of what he has done for us what he has given us, what he has taught, the example that he's, uh, he lived for us, and the situations that he has put you in, specifically even now. Maybe if that's something you feel resistant to in your heart right now, that why has God put you here now at this moment to hear about the death of Jesus Christ? And for us believers, to consider... What we say is our priorities, right? We, most of us would say the Lord Jesus is our priority, but is that what our schedule reflects? Is that what we do with our time? Or are we betraying Christ constantly for other things in our schedule, right? What is our attitude? Are we excited to leave the fellowship of believers? Are we excited for our Bible reading timer to go off so we can carry on with our day? Right? Are we excited for work to start so we can be done meditating or whatever, whatever it is our practice may be? What's our attitude about that? Are we joyfully excited? Have you ever woken up before your alarm to be in the Word? The closest I've come to that is Christmas. Because Christmas is kind of about Jesus, right? It should be entirely about Jesus. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, help us to value you, to recognize your power, your love and your power, to recognize the love that you would come down, suffer for us, um, not to defend yourself uh, when you could have. We know that no one took your life uh, takes the life of Jesus from him, but that he lays it down, even in the garden where he could have uh, had tens of thousands of angels come to defend himself. Uh, that man would take up swords and clubs and uh, take things into their own hands and seek to overpower the Lord Jesus or seek to defend the Lord Jesus and how much we do that in our own lives to uh, put power into our own hands and try to uh, 
control the situation, when in reality, while our passions take draw swords, that your love would hold back legions of angels. You would hold back so that the word of God might be fulfilled and that you would go to the cross and die for our sins. Help us to, as believers, recognize that moment to moment and live in light of it and be changed by it. Let it change our priorities, our schedules, our attitudes. And that if we don't see any value in you, that we would uh, come before you fearfully and trembling with uh, joy of what you have offered us and accept that sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Help us to uh, keep this in mind, to be different because of the value that you have offered us uh, in saving our souls and in being with us day to day in our lives. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.